You are listening to the Gig Coach Podcast, designed for anyone who wants to learn the secrets to becoming a successful professional entertainer without a record deal or even a song on the radio. I'm your host, Rockin' Rick Bell, but they call me the Gig Coach because I love helping performers achieve their dreams of earning a living with their talent just like I have. Who am I and what qualifies me to talk on this subject? I've been a full-time professional solo entertainer playing over 300 well-paid gigs a year for over a decade. I ditched my corporate day job in 2008 to play music full-time, and it was the best career decision I ever made. Over the years, I developed a unique combination of performing live guitar and vocals along with backing tracks and blending DJ music in throughout my live performances. This combination has proven to be a gold mine for me. And now I want to share my secrets with performers who want to turn their passion into their profession. Go to thegigcoach.com and join the Gig Coach Workshop. It's free to join and you'll receive a training module from my course, Booked Solid, Playing Solo for Good Pay, when you join the workshop. Go to thegigcoach.com and join the workshop today. My career before I um, got serious about music, actually, I grew up wanting to play music and play in a band, and that was what I chose as my profession until I found <laughs> what I call the, uh, the second love of my life after music, and it was the martial arts, uh, Taekwondo karate to be exact. And I literally fell in love with the whole thing. When I was a kid, I always liked to box for whatever reason. We had some boxing gloves that we found in the attic that my aunt had. And we would, the neighborhood kids would, you know, put the gloves on. And I would put the gloves on, didn't know anything about boxing, but I always wanted to box. So when I got involved in the martial arts, I wanted to be an instructor and I became a a black belt and an instructor, and did that for about 15 years. I, I did music on the side, but my passion was the martial arts. I uh, happened to be, my hometown was a place called Marshall, Texas, and that was the hometown of Big George Foreman, the heavyweight champion of the world. And he, he was born there, then he moved to Houston, and but he moved back to Marshall during his uh, second boxing career, and that's when I was in my kickboxing career, and I became a champion, an undefeated kickboxing champion, and George was in my t hometown, and his uh, fighters, his sparring partners were in his stable, what you call a stable of fighters, and I had a gym, and they would work out in my gym, and I got to, to work and train with these people. Now, I told you that story simply because my career as a as a fighter, as, as a kickboxing champion, really changed when I got a coach, okay? When I had someone to teach me how to do this thing and I, the, the fundamentals, the basics of how to throw a jab and how to get your feet right, your footwork's so important. Finally, when I, uh, you know, I'd had a fight or two, a couple of fights, and I did all right. I won them, but I really didn't know anything until George Foreman, again, started his comeback career, and he had all these trainers around. And I happened to hook up at that time with a professional boxing trainer. He had been a pro fighter and 
had retired long since. He was an older gentleman. And he started teaching me and coaching me. And everything changed for me. My career took off. I really learned how to do that. What I do with the gig coach, what I talk about all the time, is I give you a mentorship. The fastest, the best way to learn how to do something is to find someone who's done it and then copy what they've done. Let them show you and let them give you the shortcuts that will save you years of time. That's what the Gig Coach Workshop is all about. That's what my course, Booked Solid Playing Solo for Good Pay, teaches you. It's a mentorship of, of sorts. I love to teach. As I just told you, my background was in the martial arts. I was an instructor. I, all I wanted to do was teach martial arts, and I did that for many years. Taught kids as young as, you know, five years old all the way up to L, you know, senior citizens, 95, all in between. I, I was a trainer. I was a police officer uh, during that time, and I trained the police uh, force. I was at the police academy as the self-defense instructor. I loved to teach, all right? That's how the whole gig coach thing came about. When I was doing this, I was looking for a resource. When I decided to become a solo performer, I'd been doing the band thing my whole life, but I had seen these two guys working with MIDI tracks, and it was around 1985, maybe 1986. MIDI music had just come out, and I saw these guys on a main stage at a major music festival in Shreveport, Louisiana, uh, where the, the boats are in Bossier City. That's where they had the casinos, all right? And these guys were on a stage, and there, there probably were I'm 5,000 people in the, um, in the audience. It was an outside event. And these guys were killing it, a bass player and a guitar player. And they were playing with, I'd never heard MIDI tracks before. It was literally a live band sound coming from the stage. And these guys were just, you know, one was playing guitar, the other was playing bass, and they were singing. I was blown away. And I had to learn right then. I said, but whatever they're doing, I tried to fight my way up to the stage so I could see what, what was going on. How was this? How, where was this music coming from? They had a sort of a keyboard. It wasn't a sort of, it was a keyboard set up. And apparently it was triggering these sounds. They had recorded these MIDI songs, sequences is what they were called. So I learned all about that. And I began writing shortly after that. I ended up writing jingles. I wanted to be a songwriter, and I went to Nashville and did that whole thing. And I discovered quickly in Nashville that if I wanted to be a successful songwriter, I was going to have to live there for probably 10 years. You know, they call it a 10-year town for a reason. I had a very close friend who was the drummer in my band who had moved there in 1980 to take a job on the road playing drums for a fellow named Johnny Paycheck, who had some giant country hits, Take This Job and Shove It, and a bunch of others. But my friend, his name was Doug, moved there in 1980, and, and in 19, probably 87, I'm guessing this was, I started going to Nashville and staying with, with Doug, and we would do, a, he was writing some songs and doing a few things, but he was basically a struggling musician, and he'd been there five or six years, and he was literally making it. $25 to $50 a night playing drums in a house band. He played in two house bands every night. 
He did like a five to nine gig at one, and then he rushed across town and did a 10 to two gig at another. This was every night. It's ironic. Uh, one night he was so tired. He was coming out of his late gig, and it was, you know, 2.30 in the morning. And he had a little truck. It was like a little Datsun, you know, truck. And it was in a parking garage. And when he got to it, a guy came up and robbed him. <laughs> a, guy, a guy came up and, you know, held a knife to him and said, give me your money. And my friend Doug looked at him and just said, really, really, you're going to take the money that I made? Are you kidding me? And he said, just take it. <laughs> he handed him the money he made and he just shook his head. And he recounted that story and said, wow, that was kind of a low point for him. And he realized that, wow, was he ever going to make it? That's what he, that's the thought that he had. Ironically, not long after that, Doug's, Doug's wife uh, worked for Arista Records. She's a real smart girl, and she, she started working as like a receptionist for Arista Records. Worked her way up into um, pretty significant. Well, she was, she was managing at, some, at one point Alan Jackson. That was when Alan Jackson's career first started. And she was with him. She was with Steve Warner and several other Arista artists. Now she's an attorney in Nashville. I mean, she started out no education, and she put herself through night school at Vanderbilt in, in uh, Nashville, and now she's a, a music industry lawyer. So my friend Doug, he ended up starting in music management, okay? He started literally selling T-shirts for Brooks and Dunn, of which his, his wife worked for the company, Arista, and she kind of got him hooked up with that. Selling T-shirts, one thing led to another, and over the a period of years, he began... He ended up being the road manager for Brooks and Dunn for several years, making big money, buku money. But he just waited it out. From there, some of you know this story. I've, I've told it before. My friend Doug, he was approached by a group of people, investors, Airsta Record, music people. And they said they were go going to break a new band. And they wanted him to start a management company to handle this, this new group. It was going to be a big deal, big money push behind him. And, and I told him, don't leave Brooks and Dunn for any new band. Yeah, that was my sage wisdom. He said, no, I think I'm going to do it. He sent me a CD of this band, and I listened to it. And he said, what do you think? I said, man, I don't. I'm not clicking with the sound of this singer and all that. He said, well, I think it's going to be big. We're going to do them like a boy band. Well, then, and he signed on with them. And the name of the band, I asked him, what's the name of the band? He said, what's well, an odd name? Uh, he said, they call themselves Rascal Flats. I said, well, that's an odd name, but you think they're good? He goes, I really believe in these guys. Well, the rest is history. He was the manager. He had a partner, and they started a management company exclusively for Rascal Flats. And they did that for, I don't know, through the big, the big years with, with Flats, and then they left. But I realized Nashville was going to take a, a, long, a long time of incubation. I had, when I went to, ironically, when I went to Nashville the first time, I took probably 15 songs I'd written. I'd been writing songs. I'm in, I'm in Texas, and I'm near Austin, Texas. And I'd been writing all these songs, and I took them to Nashville to try to get someone to listen to them. Well, the first um, a publisher that we went to, he signed all my songs. He took all of them. He took all 12, 12 or 15. I don't remember how many. And I thought, wow, this is easy. 
my friend Doug was so excited because he had, he said, man, they really like your stuff. And I was not writing good songs, believe me. They were like, I knew music. I was, you know, really natural music with theory and all, but I didn't, didn't really know how to, I didn't know how to write a song. I had pretty good, I was a wordsmith and in some ways I could write, but I didn't understand all, all of those. But anyway, they got signed, but nothing happened with them. All right. And Finally, someone said, well, you know, even, even if you get a cut on, you know, on a record, you're not going to get paid for probably two years, 24 months, 12 months to 24 months. That's the minimum. I said, what? <laughs> How am I going to live? So anyway, someone suggested that they, they said, you seem to be really good with melody. You understand that. Why don't you consider writing jingles? I thought, jingles? He said, yeah, radio and television. So I did. I, I looked into that, and I came back to Texas from Nashville. I came back, and it just so happens that Dallas, Texas, happened to be pretty much the jingle and commercial music capital of America at the time. There were a couple of big, two or three big powerhouse uh, recording production houses that did jingles and did something called Radio ID. You know, that's when they say uh, KWKH, the radio ranch, They're, that ID where you sing it. They, these companies were the biggest in the business. And I just happened to, you know, check, call one of them and get an interview with them. And they hired me on the spot to ride and, and sell. It, it, was, it was a whole deal. But what I, I'm saying all that to say that when I discovered MIDI music and how to do that, that's what they used in the studio. They were getting away from bringing in string sections and horn sections because of the budget constraints, right? They're always wanting to save money when they're recording. So all of a sudden, this new technology where you could layer strings on in the studio from a keyboard, well, they didn't have to hire eight, you know, violin players at union scale and bring them anymore. And there was a, the profit margin went up. So I started using MIDI and I taught myself how to do it. And I decided that, and this would be a good way to perform with these, these tracks, like those guys I saw in, at the casinos in Shreveport, Louisiana, playing the, playing the gig. So I kind of forged my own way and figured out how to do a few things. But I needed a mentor, just like I said when I started my boxing with a trainer Everything changed. I wish there had been someone to help me in those days to teach me how to do this. That's what I do with the gig coach. I show you how it really works, what the audience is really going to want and what agents want. At this stage in my 30-year career, I've probably worked with, you know, two dozen agents closely. I know that whole thing. I've booked acts, you know, as an agent before. I, I know how it works and what they're looking for and how to build an act for them. I love to teach, all right? I told you I taught martial arts. I taught music. That was one of the things I really enjoyed teaching guitar because when I was teaching, I was learning a lot of things. I really dug into theory and modes and all of, all of the guitar things that I was self-taught, so I... Uh, didn't I knew it, but I didn't know what it was, what it was called. So I, I really enjoyed that. The problem was with my teaching is I could only charge about 
$35 for a half-hour lesson, maybe $40. All right. When I, was, when I started gigging, I started getting calls to gig, I earn $150 to $300 an hour for a gig, a day gig. I couldn't afford to sit here and spend an hour, which would earn me $70, right, two students in an hour. And I tried to do the group thing, but it's, it's hard to teach guitar. Or I taught piano and I taught, taught some other instruments too because I can play several things. But it's very difficult to, to do that. And, and make the money with it. So I decided that I'm going to play the gigs. I just couldn't say no to it. I had to do, I had to play the gigs. That was what was going to make me the most money. And I have, that's what I've done. But I'm at a point where I want to teach you how to do what I did. I want to teach you how to build an act that is going to get booking agents wanting you. They won't even return your call if you're just another guy playing guitar, sitting on a stool, singing songs and doing cover songs. That may be great. You may do great at that. They don't need another one of those kind of guys. It doesn't matter how great you are. They don't need another one of those. It's, it's kind of like the market effect. You know, the market will pay for what they need and what they want, but it's oversaturated with solo entertainers just trying to do that. But the gig coach will teach you the things that I learned and how to package and put together an act. That's what it's all about. It is an act that you build that has a certain way that the pacing to the show, what songs to do, how to do it, how to put the equipment together to make you look different you don't want to look like a person, single person, sitting on a stool with a tip jar in front of you, playing an acoustic guitar with a microphone with your, your iPhone attached to the stand where you're reading the lyrics. Those, you can find a hundred of those people, you know, in your city that are willing to do that for really cheap or next to nothing. The Gig Coach teaches you how to build a career to make good money, just like I was telling you. I make so much money gigging that I can't afford to teach. I can't, I can't lose that money per hour. That, that, those are gig hours. And many, many days a week, I'll do a day gig at, say, 2 in the afternoon. I might do a morning gig at 10 a.m., an hour or so. Then I'll do a 2 p.m. Then I'll do a 7 to 10 p.m. gig that night at one of my residency things. This is what I teach you how to do in the gig coach course called Book Solid Playing Solo for Good Pay. I encourage you to check that out. Go to thegigcoach.com and um, click the button and sign up for the, the uh, newsletter. Plus, check out the course because it can really help you. And I'm not saying that just because I, you know, I want to sell courses because I make a lot of money just gigging. But I'm a teacher at heart, so that's the teacher in me coming out. Thank you for listening to the Gig Coach Podcast. You can find the show notes for this episode at thegigcoach.com. That's T-H-E-G-I-G-C-O-A-C-H.com. Make sure to join the Gig Coach Workshop when you're there. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the Gig Coach Podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchasers, or Audible. 
Do you know someone who would benefit from the Gig Coach podcast? Send them a link to this episode. We only grow when our listeners share our podcasts, and we really appreciate it when you do. Thanks for listening.